Morning, church. How you guys doing? Doing well? Is this hot? Is this a little loud? Is this good? Maybe put it down just a tad. Hey, I was walking through um, just the room while we were worshiping, and I felt sort of like a tenderness in my heart for you. Um, I felt the Father's sort of heart and eyes for the things that you guys are all uniquely going through, uh, both the good and the challenging. And I just believe with all my heart that today there is, there is an availability and an anointing for a joy to kind of come alive in your hearts, for hope to kind of come alive. I even get this sense that there is a replacement and a trade for some shame, for some hurts, for the hope and joy of the Lord today. So I just hope that we are just open-hearted and expectant for the Holy Spirit to move. Amen. Today we continue in a, in a brand new teaching series. This is actually the first time I was able to speak to you this year. Um, and so I have been waiting a whole year to share this. Um, but uh, yeah, we continue in a teaching series about awakening into wonder. Awakening into wonder. What does that even mean? Um, we're going to unpack that a little bit today. I want to continue this morning uh, about talking about a pervasive, poisonous lie that sort of is pretty prevalent in our generation. And there's a lot of lies, but this one's an interesting one. It's sort of like spawning out of the most secular parts of our country and from Europe. And in this new age of secularism, it's coming out of out of the city of Austin, of course, New York. I was just in Vancouver this week. Dark, secular city. It doesn't even really have a concept for the gospel. And it's pervading and bleeding into Spicewood and into our schools, and even more particularly in this emerging generation as they have been taught and discipled by social media, where a lot of the, the influence is coming from those big cities. And this lie is essentially, one of, one of the lies is this. There are religious people Okay? There are religious people or worshipers who gather on Sundays, for example, and they lift up their hearts to an imaginary God. And they give their emotions and they give their thoughts and their attention and affection to this God. And then there are reasonable people, people who don't really worry about those things anymore. Those things are obsolete. They're, they're antiquated. Those are the religious worshipers. We, instead, go to brunch and drink mimosas. Maybe we stay home. Those reasonable people stay home and do yard work or watch sports or whatever the case may be, go on hikes. Who knows? These rational people. But all, whatever the case may be, they're not going someplace to worship some God, right? This, my friends, is a false distinction. I think most of us in this room know that. But there's an infiltration bringing about this lie in our day and age. The fact of the matter is that everyone is a worshiper. Everyone is a worshiper. Worship is about aligning the attention and passions and values and vision and capacity and your energy towards that which matters most. I want to show you this graph, this graphic here. At the bottom tier, you have your attention. I think there is a war for the foundation of who you are. What are you giving your focus to? What are you giving your attention to? 
And that affects your passions. Your passions get sort of mutated almost by what you fix your eyes on. And that affects your values based on your passions. That sort of like fashions your values and that also affects your vision and your capacity and your energy. All of this pointing to that which matters most. There's an alignment here. And I think if, so if I'm honest with you guys, just real talk, I like this and I think it's helpful, especially all of like the sections. However, I'm not fully convinced that it's the best illustration. I think that um, I could have used the pie chart or my favorite uh, Venn diagrams. But the point of it is that there is an alignment of these things that we all have, these resources, towards that which matters most to you. So a question you can ask is, what are the things on this list that I'm giving the most to? <laughs> what are, what, where does my capacity go? Where does my attention go? Where does my energy go? Where are my values fixated on, my vision? This, my friends, is a map to your God. And you could be the religious person, or you can be the rational person, as if that's a thing, that distinction's a thing. No, we are all worshipers, aligning ourselves according to these things. Missiologist Alan Hirsch writes, this missiologist, he studies the mission of God, this robust part of theology, and he's a specialist in this. And he says this, everyone has a God, in the sense that everyone puts something first in one's life, money, power, prestige, self, career, love, and so forth. There must be something in your life that operates as your source of meaning and strength, something that you, would, that you regard, at least implicitly, as the supreme power of your life. There are no, there's no such thing as religious people and then, and then rational people. They're just worshipers manifesting their worship in different directions. We were made for worship. And maybe we have a disordered view of where to set the trajectory of that worship, but we are made for worship, and the, and the world was made for worship. This brings us, and this is really pointing to our first point, we are wired for worship. In Luke chapter 19, verse 37, this is Passion Week. Jesus is doing his triumphal entry in this paradoxical way of coming low. He's entering Jerusalem, about to be crucified. And sandwiched in this, this story is this account. He just entered into Jerusalem, and this is where he picked things up. Then he, this is Jesus, then he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices, for all the miracles they have seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to, to, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus taps into something really fundamental there's a fundamental truth of creation that Jesus is, is utilizing in this phrase. All of creation was created to praise God and to glorify him and to magnify his name. And so there's actually like a, and, and, and with that, just as a side note, 
How many of you guys remember that you're actually a creation? Right? Sometimes we, I, I don't know if you think about that. Like, sometimes it's easy to just think of myself as some maybe godlike, right? Maybe I'm the center of the universe. Maybe I'm eternal. Well, you are, but you are a created being. And all of creation, including you and me, have been wired and created and made to glorify Jesus. You know, there's a, a beautiful kind of like tapestry or landscape within the scripture of language like this, this poetic language that is, I think, simultaneously poetic and literal in some ways. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Let's let not these, these passages become normalized to us. The heavens, all of the stars, the expanse, the sky, this is what this word in Hebrew is referring to, the cosmos, declares the glory of God. Isaiah 55, verse 12, the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. I uh, traveled to Vancouver um, this past week to be at a pastor's conference to just continue to get trained and equipped to help us move into sort of the future of the church. Um, things are changing. You probably know it instinctively. Maybe you don't have language for it. Maybe you do. But things are changing rapidly. And so how, do, how should the church look? And how should we respond to a lot of these very important conversations that are happening in our society? And I can you know, mention a few, I'm sure. And you could think of some really critical and sensitive subjects. Anyway, that's a tangent. But I was, dry, I was flying from Austin to Seattle and... Um, it was as if we were flying right next to this huge, humongous, massive mountain called Mount Rainier. And it was like, I was flying above the clouds and here's this mountain, Mount Rainier just punching out of the clouds. And it was just like, the, and the sun was rising. And I remember looking at it and being like, like I am so staggered by, the, by God's creation. <laughs> Like, it's just like, it's so easy to just kind of, I don't know, just be sort of like myopic and short-sighted. And then there's, there's times when you're literally taken up into the sky and you have a new perspective. And you're like, God, you are amazing. <laughs> what glory. This, and I feel like this ancient mountain is just declaring the glory of our creator. We are made for worship. So this brings us to our second point. Everyone worships. Maybe we've established that. But the question is, who or what do we worship? Who or what do we worship? You know, um, culture is fierce. Culture is the, the most prevalent, I think, in, especially in the, in the West, an active and, and powerful discipler, if I can use that word. I, I don't know, the church, Jesus is still moving, the Holy Spirit is still moving. But culture is at war for your soul. And so it has taught us, it's sort of discipled us to regard certain things as our most valuable thing and therefore leverage all that we, that we are and have towards that thing. It's taught us how to worship. Culture has taught you how to worship. And there's this constant like tension, I think, that I deal with on just sifting out what is pure worship and what is a false worship to a false god. You know, it's, uh, culture has taught us how to worship our phones. 
It's taught us how to worship TV and shows and movies and give all of our emotional investment to these, you know, make-believe characters. <laughs> I can go on a tangent about that. We've been taught to worship football teams, our favorite brands. And don't get me wrong, I love that stuff. It's fun. It's awesome. It's part of who we are. It's part of our story. It's good. But is it an idol? Does it rival Jesus? I ask myself that same question. But nonetheless, it's taught us how to worship. And one of the things I think about it is it's taught us how to worship based on our preferences. This is my football team. This is my brand. I really like this type of car. I like this thing. I like this show. I like this app, whatever the case may be. Are you, are you tracking? We have, we have sort of like given ourselves to these things and allowed ourselves to use the mechanisms that our maker gave us to worship to these inanimate objects and ideas and, and things like that based on our preferences. And here's the, the tragedy in that is I think it's sort of like infiltrated the church. Yeah. And if I'm honest, it's infiltrated my heart. It can be so preferential. I'm like, this is how church should be. This is how this should be. The worship should be. The teaching should be. This disciple making should be, you know? Right. It's based on my preferences. Not to say that we can't forge forward with, with wisdom and collaboration and all of that stuff, but it's, it's sort of come into the church. And so as a result, I think for many of us in the church or for many churches, the spirit of worship has been hijacked by the spirit of entitlement. It's been, it's been hijacked by the spirit of, of entertainment. All right, let's come to church. Let's see, you know. Is that too real? I'm sorry. I'm just, have, I do it too, you know. Or is Jesus worthy? <laughs> no matter what, my preferences are signaling. Is Jesus worthy? So we, there, there is this tendency, though, to be swarming in this entertainment kind of like mentality, this spirit. A.W. Tozer says this, the church that can't worship must be entertained. And men and women who can't lead a church to worship must provide the entertainment. <laughs> I'm just here to confess, I'm not cool or smart or spiritual enough to entertain you. <laughs> and I don't even think that's a thing, right? That shouldn't be a thing. I'm not here to entertain you. You're not even here to entertain each other. The teachers aren't there to entertain the kids. Well, maybe a little bit because they're kids, but also it dovetailed with disciple making. But that's not the centrality of what we're trying to do here, right? That's not the point. Let me entertain my thoughts once you inspire me with something new, you know? We must reclaim the true heart of worship. It's not about our preferences, and it's not about entertainment. It's not about us, even. It's about God. And so it's a call for you and I to stop worshiping the false gods of preference. Put those things to death. Shatter those things. In terms of just the elevation or orientation or alignment around them, right? I'm not saying shatter your favorite football team, you know? I'm talking about <laughs> as if that's, some of, some of those teams are shattered already, so I'm just, just saying, sorry. <sighs> Sting. Um, but I think there is a replacement here. And some of these things also 
you know, are good things, right? Our kids are, man, my kids, I love my kids. It's, uh, I, in some ways, I just, I, I love and, 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 and serve them in, in such a way that it kind of pools on the same, I think, mechanisms of worship. I'm just here to serve you and carry you and like create with you, you know? But it's, it's, we can't elevate our kids or our spouse or these things to the place of God. We need to sort of allow these things to come down, to be relegated. Career as well. So easy to just like elevate career. If I do career, then there's all the implications of the things that I need and want and bring security or convenience. I think you're getting the point. So there needs to be a, a re-centralizing of Jesus in our hearts. And maybe you're, you don't know Jesus. This is an invitation for you to walk forward. I don't even know what that means, but Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. I don't know what it means. I don't even know where the center of my heart is, but would you come in? I know that you're good. I have a mustard seed of faith. That's all you need. And resurrection power will start to flood from within you. And maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum, even walking with God for walking with Jesus for 150 years. There's still a centering of Jesus, right? There's still, there's still like, what does it look like to, to follow Jesus? And so it's a call for all of us. The question is, who is enthroned in your heart? And I feel like there's times where it's like, Jesus, you're enthroned right now. I'm, I'm worshiping, I'm raising my hands. But then is he enthroned when you're annoyed driving? Is he enthroned when, when you feel like betrayed by someone at work? Are you, is he enthroned when you're suffering and doubting with like things with your health or whatever the case may be? These are those moments that, sh- that show the true kind of enthroning of Jesus. And he's, he's asking. He's not going to force his way into the throne of your heart, but he's asking, would you do it? And then you'll co-rule with me. I'll, I'll give you all of the inheritance that I died for. Power will be released in your life. We've been called to worship Jesus, to enthrone Jesus, and only Jesus. Read with me Colossians chapter 1. Verse 3, or verse 13, it says this, this, this amazing passage. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We have been called to worship Jesus. You are a worshiper. You will worship. But it is not just a generic worship. It's not a worship to a nameless entity. It is worship to Jesus, our maker, the one who holds your life together, the one who knows you and loves you the most. 
You know, just to get real though a little bit, like if we're honest, it's not always easy, right? It's sort of hard to worship a God that we can't see with our senses, with our eyes. It makes worship hard sometimes if if I'm honest. It's like, where are you? (laughs) Like even in my own life, like, where are you? I don't, I'm having a hard time sensing you, right? I think it's in some ways because I'm more used to looking at my screen than the Son of God. Maybe we're more used to relying on our eyes and looking again at screens for the most part than the Spirit of God. It's an invitation to shift the inward gaze and our eyes and train and be discipled to look at Jesus. So let's not be a people who are too quick to adopt the worship of the world. You know, we live in a pretty uncertain world, don't we? There's a lot of uncertainty, I think. Like, just pick the subject, right? Just pick the realm. It's like, I doubt it. (laughs) A lot of uncertainty. And that also applies to our own life. There's just doubt. It's natural to doubt. It's okay if you doubt, but there is an uncertainty. And I think the lie of the world is if you worship these things, worship what the world worships, worship money, worship your health, worship your family, worship this mode of policy, who knows? Then that will be the answer. That will maybe ease the uncertainty that we're feeling. But that is a lie, my friends. It is a lie. You know, the, the Bible says that we don't walk by sight, but that we walk by faith. By faith. Everyone say faith. faith. And here, here's the truth. Worship actually cultivates our faith. Back to this idea of worship and wonder. It actually cultivates and builds your faith. And our faith also cultivates your worship. There is a synergy there. They feed each other. I'll show you this graph here. It's very simple. When we worship... When you give your heart to worship, your faith will be built up, I promise you. And when you put your faith in the right things, your worship will be built up, I promise you. There, God is like cyclical. He, he, you know, it's, he's holistic, and they feed each other. And so maybe you're here today, and you're just like, I don't, honestly, Zach, I just don't have a lot of faith. I've been too hurt. I just got too much stuff going on. I, I, I don't have faith for my marriage, or for my health, or for my future, or for my kids, or my finances. Fill in the blank for your situation. Well, the question is, what are you worshiping? Maybe you're here today, and you're just like, I, don't, I just don't really have a lot of worship in me. I don't even know how to worship. I don't, I don't have it in me. I just, I'm, my tank's low. I barely got out, out of bed. Being here is a miracle. <laughs> well, the question is, what are you putting your faith in? They work together. If you feed your worship, faith will grow. If you feed and point your faith in the right direction, your worship will grow. So I want to give you guys um, a key today. I'm just going to give it to you right now. Put your hand up. Here is a golden, everlasting key. Okay? Take that. Hold it. And this key unlocks everything. And particularly, faith and worship. Because this is our calling. This is who we are. This is a part of 
This is an, faith and worship is the expression of who you really are. And so this key unlocks everything. It unlocks faith and it unlocks worship. And it's this, and it's very simple. We receive the unconditional love of God. How do you receive that? Maybe you're like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I, I need to remember this. I'm too busy, I'm too hurried, I'm too anxious. I just need to remember that. And maybe you're like, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> I grew up in church, God so loved the world, I get that. Give me something more than, no, 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 no. This is everything. This is the key that unlocks everything. You know, there's, maybe you're just like, um, but if I just, man, I got a lot of stuff going on in my life, and maybe if I just repent, I thought this was a feather. I was like, miracle, miracle. feathers coming down. All right. Some of you guys got that. If you know, you know. It's all good. But maybe, maybe you're just like, if I just get this stuff out of my life, and I just repent a little bit for this stuff, this, this darkness in my life, then, and then maybe I'll deserve God's love then. No? Just receive the love of God. Maybe if I just read the Bible a little bit more, maybe if I just learn more, maybe I need to get a little bit more spiritual, then, I, then I'll deserve it more then, right? No. Just receive the love of God. Receive the love of God. I'm going to read some passages to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Love that word, lavished. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Both Paul and John the Beloved, the apostle, using this word lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Hallelujah. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Lavished. So the definition, one of the, the definitions, primary definitions of lavished is to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantity. Can you bring that up? I have a, let me just read that again. Bestow something in generous or extravagant quantity. I have uh, an illustration for you guys today. Um, do you remember the passage when Jesus um, spat on the mud? You guys remember that? Can I get a volunteer real quick? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You guys with me? I'm just joking around a little bit. It's going to be silly sometimes. It's going to be silly. I'm not going to spit on anyone. Um, no, this is uh, this right here. Um, I was going to use one of the coffee cups, but I was like, I can't use that. This is you, okay? Just track with me for a second. This is you. You're not a coffee cup. You're not disposable. You are this beautiful handmade from Mexico, <laughs> beautiful chalice or glass, okay? This is handmade. You are handmade. The first thing you just need to realize is that you have so much value, like, I asked Rachel to use this, and she's like, do you have to? It's my favorite one. You know, it's just like, it's valuable. You are valuable. Amen. 
You're not just like a uniform coffee cup, right? Okay, so that's just the first thing. That's a little bonus. But I think that often we can treat, so back, back with God's love, lavish love. But I think sometimes it's just like, God, we just, yeah, I know that in my head, but it's like God's just like, oh, there you go. Like, that's what we think. God, God's going to give me a little bit of love. Like, I did some good things. I didn't, I didn't do that, that thing or that sin for like a week. Oh, right? I went to church. Just God's love a little bit. But the truth of the matter, <laughs> it's more something like this. God's lavished love. Lavish love. Some of us who are visual people, we need this picture. Let it sear in your mind. God is not limited and conditional with his love. He's just pouring it out. And if it's actually God, it's still pouring and splashing everywhere and stressing out the person that cares about the carpet. <laughs> it's just water. It'll dry up. The baptisms is way, way worse. Don't worry. Stage is going to be fine. This is you overflowing overflowing if we just place ourselves with the awareness and he's, he's and like the truth of the matter is he's he's just pouring it over you look at the cross he's pouring it over you and sometimes i think we're just like we're just too closed up i'm 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 just i'm in control because i need to fix this stuff and i'm not worthy we close the lid of who we are and we don't get to bathe in the unconditional, lavished love of God. And so I want to remind us that we don't do things for God's love. We do things from his love. That switch will save your life. His lavished love. And so how do we, how do, we do this? How do we open ourselves up in this way? Well, uh, here's some tips, okay? It's really quite simple. We yield to God. I think more often than not, it's like, I'm driving somewhere. I got stuff to do. No, no, you yield to God. It's a surrender, right? We yield. Oh, wow, you actually are here and you care. I'm just yielding. And not only yielding, it's a surrender. Jesus, take the wheel, right? We simply open ourselves up. And some of these things are by choice. God has designed us to be relational. It's not an automatic like programming thing. We are wired for worship, but we still have free will. And so we open ourselves up. Lord, I yield to you and I open my heart. I don't even want to. I have so many ugly things in my closet. I have so many things I'm dealing with. But I am going to get vulnerable and I open myself up to you. Love starts to pour in. And then you start to feel it, and then you receive it. I concede. I concede. I, I receive. It starts to fill your inner being with the limitless, lavish love of God. And this is how faith and worship sort of come alive. 
We, if, if it's from this place of receiving that faith and worship are, are then soaked in the living water of God's love, and faith and worship is unlocked. This is how we do it. And then from this place, from this place of receiving, and, and I'm trying to really captivate your heart with this and with the illustrations and stuff like that, but sometimes it's, it's just a simple, you're walking into a meeting, and it's just like, I shift my heart to you. Would you come? I, I receive your presence and your love. Right? Just like sometimes it's these micro moments that we need to just continue to open ourselves up to the love of God. And so anyway, it's from this place of receiving the love of God that we de- then respond. Everyone say respond. respond. How many of you guys know that that response to the love of God is worship? That's the essence of worship. So God is the initiator. He has pursued you. I even just want to take a second here. Just think of the way that God has pursued you. Just right now, just take a second. Maybe if you need to close your eyes. How has God pursued you? By giving you good loving parents who taught you the word? By saving your life? Pulling you out of destruction? Speaking to your heart with conviction? Whatever the case may be, just take a second. How has God initiated with you? And so, Lord, it's good to respond even now where we just respond with our memory to remember you, to remember your faithfulness, God, to remember the cross extending out into our, our own story. How did you pluck me out of that? <laughs> now I'm with you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. God is the initiator. He's been initiating, initiating and pursuing you your whole life. And then we start through faith and through the help of the Holy Spirit and through the church and through his providence, we start to receive it and then we respond. And so God is the initiator and we are the responders. And the response is love. This is what worship is. A response is simply love. Does that sound familiar though? Right? God pours out his love and then we respond with love. We are, we've been called by the mandate of creation to be reflectors of God back to him, to each other, and out to the world. This is what worship is all about. Have you, uh, have you ever fallen in love? Anyone fallen in love? A couple people. Have you ever just been like, oh man, I am in love with this, you know, this thing, or this person, right? Maybe it's romantic love. How many, guys, how many guys know that it is a very awakening experience? <laughs> if you've fallen in love, you're just like, it's an awakening experience. You're like, get this, this feeling in your soul. You're like, whoa, I didn't even know I had that part of me. Like, I'm just awakened in that place. And it's awakening in your body, <laughs> right, for better or worse. It's an awakening of who you are. This is really a picture of worship. Let me unpack that a little bit more. So I remember falling in love with Rachel, my wife. And when I was falling in love with her, we were dating. It was back in Atlanta, Georgia. I think it was 2016. And I couldn't get her out of my mind. I thought about her all the time. I tried to present my best self and just give her my best. 
I remember wanting to spend all my time with her and just like, just give her all of my time and tell her how wonderful she was. And I remember writing her a bunch of like poetic letters. <clears throat> surprise, surprise that I would do that. But I would cook for her, I'd take her out. And now, um, which reminds me, I should do more of those poetic letters, I think, actually. She's shaking her head, yes. You know, life's real, man. You just gotta, you gotta recapture first love, both with your marriage and your friendships and, and, and Jesus. Capture first love. But now, and so now, you know, part of that falling in love, we re-fall in love every day. And we pursue that, that, that love through carrying life with each other and through sacrificing. I try to sacrifice for her and I'll dream with her and I'll create with her and I'll serve our children with her and I'll serve the church with her and serve the world and the lost and the broken with her. And, and if you think about that like, as well, there, you can't be like truly in love halfway. There's no such thing, right? You're, you're not in love if it's halfway. I think all of this, it, it, it really takes full commitment. It takes, it's, it's a free fall in a lot of ways. It's like a, I'm, I'm falling in love. And so I think this is a small picture of what it looks like to be in union with Jesus. And so I think sometimes I just want to remind you guys, like worship is not separated. It's like, I'm here and you're over here and I'm worshiping you. No, you are unified, mutually indwelling, carrying each other. Jesus is carrying you and you're carrying Jesus in your body, and then you worship God. This is an incredible invitation. Incredible invitation. I want to land the plane with six quick kind of practicals or practices for us to grow our love and to grow our worship with him. Amen? You guys with me? Yeah. Let's do this. Out on the other side of this, of this um, these practicals, we're going to enter back into worship, we're going to take communion, and we're going to respond together. And we have some more time. I just want to let you know. But three pract or six practicals. The first one is we pray. We pray. I want to, just as your pastor, how's your prayer life? <laughs> Are we praying? And not just because like it's some secret weapon, although it is, but it, it's relational. So are we connected with God? Are we praying? This is the beginning of worship, and it cultivates love and worship. Second one is read the word. Surprise, surprise. These are the basics, but we never move past the basics. Are you acquainted? Like, are, do you feel it in your heart and your soul that God has been faithful for generation after generation? Do you, are, you, are you familiar and intimate with his mercy, with his good character, with his emotional health towards you, with his, his faithfulness and his dreaming for you? Are you acquainted with that? Are we, are we acquainted with his ultimate plan of salvation and his, his plan of the kingdom and renewal for the, for the world? Are we in touch with the robust view of the gospel? This stuff will awaken worship like nothing else. We pray, we read the word, we study it. The third one is we choose love, we choose worship. You know, love and worship um, is a decision. You know, we fall, we fall in love and oftentimes though, we, we can kind of stop feeling it when we, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't know if I feel it. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm, the only, I'm, a, I'm the only one. It's like, ah, I love you, Jesus, but I just don't really feel it, right? It's, it's not about a feeling, though. True, mature love is a choice. That's good. It's a choice. And that applies with 
God and it applies with the mission, applies with our spouse, with our kids. We choose it. Um, John Mark Comer, an author, I've read this before, this quote to you, but I love it. I think it's worth mentioning again. He says this, we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. Are we choosing love? Are we choosing worship? Because that which we choose and make decisions for is going to eventually make us. It's going to make you. Who are you? You're a result of your decisions. You're your result of your choices. And so let us be a people who are made of love and worship by deciding to do so. Fourth is curate the environment of your heart. I think too many of us are just allowing Trojan horses and bad stuff to come into the environment of your mind and your heart. Curate it. Just be manage like what comes into your mind. What kind of content are you watching? What kind of friendships are you around, right? So let's avoid feeding these negative things, the negative drama. Maybe there's drama. Tag. I know there's some drama going on in some of the schools. Like, are we feeding it, right? Are we allowing ourselves to go towards it? Are we feeding entitlement? Oh, man, like, look at all the things wrong. I'm just going to, a lot going on wrong over here, you know? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about all the things that are wrong. It's, that just is a, is a self-fulfilling prophecy, by the way. It's, it's, a, it's a slippery slope. Are we feeding those things or are we feeding off life-giving things? Because those things can be corrosive for the soul and it can be really con contagious. And so curate the environment in your heart. Good content, good friendships. The last two, I'm going to ask Gabrielle to come close here. Number five is figure out the, the love language with God. Where do you feel, where do you feel alive with God? And oh man, when I get alone with God, when I am silent with God, when I'm focused, I'm in touch with him. We live in a pretty noisy world. Maybe it's silence. Maybe it's serving. Like I, I'm serving and I realize that I'm actually made for this and I'm like, I'm becoming more like Jesus as I do so. I'm so in touch with the love of God. Maybe it's generosity. Maybe it's affection and worship. Get in touch with it and prioritize it. And last one is we look at Jesus. We look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. A.W. Tozer once said, if you look at Jesus, a million problems are solved at once. I think many of our problems in life are a result of the deviation of our eyes. I got these issues. Are we looking at Jesus though, right? We fix our eyes back on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So as we close here, I want us to read one more passage and allow yourself, just, just hold on here, just lean in for this last part. And open up your heart to the spirit of the psalmist as he prays to God. And then we're going to worship together. He says this in Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to, to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Let's pray together before we enter into our response time. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> You're worthy of our hunger. Sometimes I, I found, my, found myself craving fast food when steaks are available. <laughs> Help me, Lord, to sort of have a new appetite for you, God to have a new craving for you. And when I really get in touch with, with what my body is saying, my spirit is longing for, you are the only one that can truly satisfy. You are the only one that actually provides living water. Everything else will be thirsty again. So in this place, Lord, we fix our eyes on you, Jesus. We allow you, Holy Spirit, to have your way, to activate, to convict, to heal. We pray for miracles. We pray for outpouring of your presence, for healing in this place, God, for fresh revelation of your Father's heart towards us. These aren't just cute illustrations. We want to receive the lavish love of God. And so would you have your way? We give you permission. We yield to you in this place, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just worship together and allow our hearts to be fixated back on Jesus and then we'll have communion. So let's worship together at this time as a family.